John 9, 1-41, hear the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said to him, he is of age, ask him. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that Moses has spoken to God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, 
And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Pierre Paul Thomas was from Montreal. And he was born with uh, two eye conditions that kept him from seeing. So he never saw. And of course, he had a a good life and he adjusted to that. He considered it bad luck. uh, But he thought, well, this is my lot and so I'll get on with it. But then he had a misfortune when he was 68 years old. He fell down some steps and he fractured his eye sockets. And so when he went into surgery, the surgeon, looking at his eye sockets and looking at his eyes, said, well, would you like me to fix your eyes as well? And the surgeon was not joking. She noticed that in addition to the condition he had that caused rapid eye movement, he also had cataracts from birth. And he offered, or she offered to take the cataracts off his eyes. And so she did. And when he awoke from surgery... For the first time in his 68 years, his eyes were functioning. But if you've looked at this and thought about the question of vision, vision is not simply a question of the eyes functioning. Vision is a function of the brain. And his brain had never learned to see. And so this 60-year-old man had to do what babies do and train their brains to understand these visual images that were coming into his eyes. But even though he got very confused by these visual images, he decided that everything he could see was beautiful. Everything. And if you want some tear-jerking YouTube videos, look up videos of people who have seen for the first time, or seen for the first time after a long time of not seeing. We have an encounter like that in this story of Jesus as He was going out of the temple. We saw that last week, that He was escaping from a hostile mob last week, leaving the temple, and it says He was passing by, we don't know passing by where, but He saw a man that was blind from birth. We don't know how old this man was. His parents later said, He is of age, ask Him. That means that He was at least 13. Uh, So He was somewhere from 13 up, being of age to testify. But uh, in this In this chapter, I want you to pay attention to a couple of verbs. Of course, there is the verb to see, and it's repeated throughout this chapter. But there's also a verb that's repeated, and that is the verb to know. And we see that this chapter is is teaching not just about physical sight. Uh, We do this in English, don't we? When we're speaking with somebody and explaining something, and then they say what? Oh, now I... 
see. What does that mean? Now I understand. And, and these two verbs in this chapter are explaining each other. So it's not just physical sight, it's, it's understanding the truth that's all throughout this chapter. And his situation, his case, presented an enigma for the disciples because the disciples, like the Jews of the time, believed that suffering is a result of sin. Now, they're of course correct at one level because if there were no sin in the world, there would not be suffering in the world. But they tended to tie specific suffering to specific sins. But now we have a problem, don't we? This man was born blind. And so they ask a question in verse 2. They say, Rabbi, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? How did this happen? If somebody had to have sinned for him to be born blind, whose fault was it? And that was quite an enigma. And and the Jews worked on this. And and some had the idea that, that... Infants could sin before they were born, but still it seems excessive. Whatever sins they might commit in the womb, it seems like an excessive punishment to be born blind, and so on. So it was a very difficult problem, and Jesus didn't go with their dilemma. They gave two options. Was it his parents, or was it the man himself? And Jesus said, that's not what's going on here. It's not that neither of them sinned at all, but he says that's not the explanation for this blindness. Jesus answers in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents as the explanation for the blindness, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. They looked for the cause. Jesus gave the purpose. They looked for the cause of suffering. Jesus gave the purpose of suffering. And by the way, that's what the Bible does in general. And that's a helpful lesson for us. When we are suffering, or our loved ones are suffering, we're trying to figure out the cause of suffering instead of looking at God's greater purposes in suffering. And that's what Jesus points to here. That the works of God might be displayed in Him. And then He says, We must work the works of Him who sent me. Hold on to that word, sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. And then He says this, In verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you remember that? Jesus already started to say that back in chapter 8. Back in chapter 8, verse 12, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then the Pharisees said, Procedural objection. And they, they hijacked the conversation, and he didn't get back to this, this momentous declaration that he is the light of the world. Actually, we see how important this theme is in the Gospel of John. If you go back to chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, and look at verses 4 and 5, it says, "...in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And so light was introduced from the beginning. Jesus in chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. The Pharisees interrupt him. Don't let him continue. He now gets back to the theme. And now we see he's going to do something. He's going to do a sign. And you remember in the Gospel of John that miracles are called signs. And what do signs do? They point. 
They don't point to themselves, they point to something beyond themselves. And so here we see what's going to happen with this sign. This sign is pointing to who Jesus is as the light of the world. So, he heals the man, and the way he heals this man is quite unusual. And there's a great deal of speculation about what this means. Is this creation imagery using the dust of the ground? In verse 6, he spat on the ground made mud with the saliva, anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then John makes a point of saying, Siloam means scent. Now, what's going on here? Well, um, there are different explanations for using saliva, using mud, but we see, we see something that is, is prophetic here. Now, that is, it's anticipating something. He used... Uh, a bodily, bodily solution, a bodily excretion, saliva, that is normally not something we want to get on each other, is it? It's something that, that we consider to be unclean. And the Jews considered it to be unclean as well. And so he took something that is unclean, and he mixed it with dirt and made mud, and he used something unclean in order to rescue this man. But that's exactly what Christ came to do, because there was another bodily fluid that was actually even more, more unclean, and that was blood. If somebody came into contact with blood, that person would be rendered unclean, but we see that in the ministry of Jesus, what did He do? He took this this bodily fluid, which is blood, and He used it as the means of the forgiveness of our sins by shedding His blood, which instead of making us unclean, it makes us clean. So we see how Jesus is taking that which is unclean and using it to cleanse and to save. And then He sent Him to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And uh, the man washed And the man came back seeing. And Jesus sent him to the pool called Sent. And Jesus had just identified himself as the one who was sent from God. Now, that's the miracle itself. The sign, I should say, in John's language. And you can imagine that the neighbors were quite quite amazed at what had happened here. And by the way, this is a, a double miracle because it wasn't just the the healing of the sight, uh, that is the, the eyes, but he was also able to process the images that he was seeing. So not only were, were his eyes healed, but he was given the idea, uh, the, the, the ability to, to interpret what he was seeing. So he was given vision. And so this man, whom we now learn was a beggar, which was about the only thing in those days that a person without sight could do, they see him walking around and seeing and so this debate uh, takes place among them. And some said, this looks like that beggar. It is. And others were saying, no, but, but he's similar. And the man kept insisting, I am he. And so they asked him, what happened? And he said, the man Jesus told me to go. He anointed my eyes, told me to go. And I washed and I came back seeing. Now this man doesn't know much yet. But you'll see that throughout this chapter, he keeps saying, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 
because he could not be shaken from the one thing that he knew. And they wanted to ask him all sorts of other things. And he didn't know the answers to those other things. But he kept saying, this is what I know, this is what I know. Now, this was quite an amazing thing. And so they wanted an official uh, religious opinion about this healing. And so they take him to the Pharisees. In verse 13, brought him to the Pharisees. And then we learn in verse 14, guess what? It was the Sabbath day. Do you remember chapter 5? By the pool, Jesus healing the paralytic. And that was on the Sabbath day. And so they were persecuting Jesus. And now we learn that once again, it was on the Sabbath day. And as the Pharisees, the, the religious teachers, were examining Jesus, that is all that some of them could see. That it was on the Sabbath day, and so they rejected Jesus out of hand and rejected the miracle out of hand. Why? Because it was on the Sabbath day. And so he was a sinner, and so he couldn't be a man from God. And that's what some of them said. Pharisees, verse 15, they asked him how he'd received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed and I see. So making mud was considered work. And so he worked on the Sabbath day, and he keeps saying the same thing. Put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, Here's the conclusion. He's not from God. Why not? He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others were a little more subtle. They said, now, now wait a minute. He, he just opened the eyes of someone who was blind from birth. That doesn't happen. And that has never happened. And by the way, that did not happen in the Old Testament. That never happened in any of the, the miracles of the Old Testament. Nor did it ever happen in all of Jewish history. This was a singular event. But when we get to the ministry of Jesus, this is the most common healing that He performs. And this is without precedent. And so some of the Pharisees were saying, we have not seen this before. And we recall that in the Old Testament, it says that God is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. And that God's Messiah, His anointed one, when He comes, He will be the one who opens the eyes of the blind. Look at Psalm 146, 8. God opens the eyes of the blind. Look at Isaiah 29, 18. Look at Isaiah 35, 5, which we already read. Look at Isaiah 42, 6 to 7. And in each of these verses, it's God who opens the eyes of the blind. It's the Messiah who does that. And so, they had these, this debate among them. But we see which side won out. And one way out of this dilemma, we have this guy who breaks the Sabbath in their mind, but he's doing things that only God and the Messiah can do. So one way out of the dilemma is what? Let's disprove the miracle. And if we can disprove the miracle, then everything's solved. And so they try to do that. But first they, they ask the man what he thinks. They're kind of at a loss, and so this is a little unusual for the experts to ask the layman, but they ask him. Uh, Let's see, in verse 17, So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. And I want you to notice something. When they asked him first, the townspeople asked him, that he called Jesus the man named Jesus. And now he is advanced. The man named Jesus, he's declaring him to be the prophet or a prophet. So he's advancing in his understanding here. But they want to disprove this miracle. They call his parents in verse 18, and they want to ask him, 
Is this your son? Number one. Was he born blind? Number two. How does he now see? And the parents, not very bravely, said, This is our son. He was born blind. But on the third question, we're going to punt. Because we don't know. And it could be that they didn't. But it actually explains that they probably knew more than they were letting on. And they said, well, just ask him. He's over 13. He's of age. Ask him. And then we get the explanation of their fear. Because the Jews had already, even at that early stage, already agreed that if anyone should recognize Jesus to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they were afraid. That's what they said. Ask him. And so they do. The conversation goes on. This is getting frustrating for the Pharisees. Verse 24, The second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And this this admonition to give glory to God is probably an admonition to tell the truth. To tell the truth. If you go back, for example, and look at uh, Joshua 7.19, uh, where Joshua is talking to Achan, and Achan is trying to cover something up, a theft that he had committed, Joshua says, give glory to God. In other words, tell the truth. And so the Pharisees are just going to put some pressure and say, okay, fess up, tell the truth. How did you pull this off? Come on, tell us what's really happening, because we know that this man is not from God. We know he's a sinner. And then we have the classic answer of the the man. In verse 25, he answered, Once again, saying what he didn't know. He said, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I don't know that. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. We just sang that, didn't we? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And here we see the the power of the testimony, the personal testimony of the simplest Christian. The simplest Christian may not know much. This man had been, uh, had his encounter with Jesus just a matter of minutes or hours before, and he did not know much. He had never seen Jesus, had he? He had a very brief conversation. He didn't know much about him, but what did he know? I used to be blind, and now I see. And this is very powerful, folks. If you can tell a story like that, you can tell other people about Jesus. You may not know much about the Bible or about theology, but if you can say, this is what I was, and I had an encounter with Jesus, and I am no longer like I was. I was in this darkness, and now I find myself in the light, and the only explanation I have for that is because I had an encounter with Jesus. Well, tell us this, tell us that, tell, tell us more. I don't know more, but one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. And that's the story of everyone who comes to Jesus. That's my story. That's your story if you're a believer in Jesus. I remember. I remember. When I, when I came to faith in Christ, all of a sudden I started seeing things all around me that they had been there forever. And I never noticed them. I never understood them. They were opaque to me. The, the Christmas carols that, that I sang and that I knew by heart, 
They were opaque. I didn't understand them. But that first year, after an encounter with Jesus, I sang those Christmas carols with tears in my eyes because I saw, I understood what they were talking about. The Bible was was an unopened book. It was a a closed book to me. I tried to read it just out of general culture because I thought I should. I didn't understand it. It was uninteresting to me. Then I had an encounter with Jesus. And then I began to read the Bible and it was fascinating to me. And on every page it was talking about me and it was talking about what I needed and talking about my life and talking about reality. And I didn't know much, but one thing I could say, I once was blind... But now I see. That's an unshakable statement. That, uh, that's a statement that nobody can contradict. And so that's something that every believer can do. And we find that this man did this, even though his faith was, was not yet fully formed. Now, they were unable to shake him. And so they repeated their questions. It looks like they're getting a bit desperate here. And they said in verse 26, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And then he answers them again and taunts them a little bit. He says, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, this also, uh, it's not clear what that also refers to. Whether it's saying also like me, or also like many other people out there. And I've heard about this. And this, uh, this enrages them. They revile him and say, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And then the man, emboldened, they're trying to trap him, and he has them quite cornered. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And then he goes on to give the teachers a theology lesson. He says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Wow. That's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty bold on the part of this man as he preaches to these teachers. And notice that he has advanced. The man named Jesus. Then he says, he is a prophet. And now he says, he is from God. Well, you can imagine how this, this uh, fell on the ears of the teachers. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Do you see what they just did here? By saying you were born in utter sin, they were saying that's why you were born blind. In other words, they just gave away the case. They were recognizing that he had been born blind, and that now he could see. And so they just gave away the whole case in their confusion, and they cast him out. But there's one more piece of this this episode, and that's when Jesus heard that he'd been cast out. And Jesus found him, and he asked him a question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And in the original, that you is emphatic. Do you Believe in the Son of Man. And that you is perhaps in contrast to the teachers, who obviously did not. Or it could be in contrast, if we're reading along in John, do you remember in chapter 5, he healed a man on the Sabbath? And then that man went immediately to the Pharisees and turned Jesus in? 
And he obviously didn't believe in Jesus. So uh, there are a number of contrasts that could be going on here. But it's a good question for this man. And it's a good question for us with the emphatic you. Do you? There are others that don't. There are others that do. But do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man was Jesus' favorite self-descriptive. And the answer of the man was, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman in Samaria? Uh, A woman from Samaria, she was talking about the Messiah. And then Jesus says, The one who is speaking to you is he. Jesus says the same thing. Jesus said to him, verse 37, You have what? Seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, we see the final step in this man's development, don't we? He first called Jesus, the man called Jesus. And then he called him a prophet. And then he called him from God. And then he called him Lord. And he bowed down and he worshipped him. And so we see... This happens in many cases. Happened in my case. I was just talking about my conversion, but my conversion was little by little. It was as I learned more and more, I got more and more clarity, just as this man did. But we see that somebody can come to understand and to see Jesus little by little, but also opposition and rejection to Jesus can grow little by little. And that's what we see happen in this chapter as well. Because there were Pharisees there, and they were dogging his heels. And Jesus said something in the presence of this man, and also being overheard by the Pharisees. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard him, and said to him, Are we also blind? What did Jesus just said here? Jesus had just said that the same light that gives sight to some also blinds others. And we understand that light can do that, can't it? Light is that which enables us to see. Without light we cannot see. But light also can blind us. And he says, That's what I do. That's the effect of my coming into the world. It gives sight to some and blinds others. And then the Pharisees asked him, Are we also blind? And the way they asked the question in the original is this, We're not also blind, are we? And then Jesus threw them something of a curveball. He said, Actually, it would be better if you were. Because if you were blind, you would have an excuse, at least, for your unbelief. But you are the ones who say, We See, meaning what? We understand. We know. We don't need to learn anything more. And he said, because that's your posture, because you say that you see, because you think that you see, and you will not learn, your blindness remains. And your guilt for your blindness remains. So, what do we see in this chapter? We see two ways of not seeing, 
and we see two ways of seeing. One way of not seeing is being blind. And that, by the way, is how all of us come into the world. I think that's the, the point of the man, this man who was born blind. He came into the world not seeing. And, and that's how we come into the world as well. We come into the world in darkness. We don't come in understanding and knowing God through Jesus. We need, we need to come to see. So we come in spiritually blind. But the good news for those who are spiritually blind is this. Jesus can give sight to the spiritually blind. But there's another way of not seeing. And that is closing your eyes to the truth. And if you're spiritually blind, there's good news. Jesus can take away your blindness. And you need for Him to take away your blindness. But if you're closing your eyes to the truth your voluntary blindness remains. So if you're spiritually blind, let Jesus open your eyes so that you might see. If you have your eyes closed to the truth, then open them that you might see the truth and believe. Let's pray. Our God, we all recognize that there's darkness in our souls. And we fear that darkness. We fear that it might be exposed and that we would be ashamed. But we thank you that you come and you illuminate that darkness in order to expose it and to remove it and to bring us into the light. And Lord, I pray that, that we would not resist that illumination, that we would not be blinded by the light, but rather that in Jesus we would see truth, we would see You, that we would have our blindness taken away, our guilt removed, and that we would know You through Jesus, the light of the world. And we pray, O oh God, that we would, like this man, be able to confess You as Lord and fall down at Your feet and worship You and follow You with our lives, walking in the light as you have brought us from the darkness into your marvelous light. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.